I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the latest big news in the response to the pandemic. First, California legislators on Thursday passed a moratorium on evictions for some desperate renters. The Chronicle Sacramento reporter Alexi Kossif is going to explain how that works. I also want to ask him about the state turning over its distribution of vaccines to insurance giant Blue Shield to try to speed things up. And we'll discuss Governor Gavin Newsom, who's just lifted the statewide lockdown, but is under intense criticism. And later in the show, reporter Jill Tucker joins us. She'll talk about the latest on school reopenings. First, Alexi Kossif. Hey, Alexi, how are you? I'm good. I'm always excited to join you. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. It is a big week. You have filed a couple stories a day. And the latest <laughs> is the latest is this moratorium on on for renters that uh, the governor is expected to sign. What does it do and what's the latest? So there's been this big question now for a couple of months of what would happen when we hit the end of January because the state has had a freeze on evictions for non-payment of rent for you know, months and months and months now trying to prevent people from being kicked out of their homes because they've, you know, lost their jobs or had other kinds of issues related to the pandemic. And we're right down to the wire now, but the legislature today did pass legislation that would extend that moratorium for five more months through the end of June. And at the same time, they've come up with a plan to give out billions of dollars in federal aid that have come in um, to help renters and property owners who've lost out on money during the pandemic or haven't been able to pay their rent and just try and get a little bit of that rental debt paid down and and get people kind of out of this mountain of debt that they're they're under at the moment. Now, this is not a full moratorium on all evictions, though, right? That's correct. It's for it's for people who have been directly affected by the pandemic. So if you lost your job, if you've had a big increase in medical bills, if you've had to take time off from work to care for sick family members, you know, then you can let your prop, you know, you can let your landlord know. And then they basically have to give you until June to pay 25% of the rent that you owe. And if you can meet that 25% limp, uh, threshold, then they cannot evict you over this mis- missed rent. So there are still other kinds of evictions that can be allowed. For example, if you break the terms of a lease or, you know, you're considered a, a danger to, you know, your neighbors, things like that. Um, and there's definitely been some pushback from tenant groups who say that these protections aren't strong enough. But overall, I mean, this is this is, you know, five more months of relief for a lot of people who need it. And I think you write this is for people that meet a certain income threshold, right? Not for everyone. Well, that's for so, you know, anyone, anyone who's been financially affected by the pandemic is actually eligible eligible for the eviction moratorium as long as you're sort of in touch with your landlord and, and you get that sort of repayment, a partial repayment going. But. In terms of getting this federal aid, that is much more limited. Um, only people who make 80% or less of the uh, median income for their area would, would qualify for that. So, you know, there's certain, um, you know, there are certain kind of formulas that the state uses and, and basically, um, you know, they're actually going to focus the, the help on even 
you know, more uh, low income people first if you make only half of the median income for your area. So they're really trying to help sort of the poorest, most vulnerable renters, you know, make sure they can stay in their homes and that there's not this sort of mass wave of evictions where all these people are pushed out onto the street. All right, let's talk about the announcement from the state about Blue Shield. That's a a big Oakland-based insurance company. Not something we necessarily saw coming, but the state says it needs now a contractor to help it roll out the vaccine. Um, how does that work? And is that is that how much of it is a response to the slow rollout and criticism so far? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think obviously for for weeks people have been increasingly frustrated, feeling like they can't get access to the vaccine. They can't get information about whether they're eligible, where to go, and it is causing, you know, it's causing a lot of headaches for for the state. So we're still finding out, you know, we're still learning more about what exactly this contract is going to be. But the state did confirm that they're finalizing, you know, their discussions with Blue Shield and Blue Shield is essentially going to decide now where to send vaccines and you know the goal here is to be more efficient and and more equitable and get you know by doing this get more you know two twofold get more shots into people's arms faster so that vaccines are not getting sent to places that can't use them or things like that and also to make sure that shots are getting into the arms of of the most vulnerable people because, you know, one of the concerns has been that, you know, uh, essential workers or, um, you know, black and Latino people have really not been able to get, uh, 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 vaccines at, at, at the rates that they need. And so, you know, that's a big part of what the state is trying to fix with this. Okay. couple questions on that. Number one, do we know how much it's going to cost the state? That has not been announced yet. Um, you know, this is something that we're that we are trying to find out. But um, they said that the the contract is not finalized, um, and so you know we're going to keep pushing to get more information about what what the terms are, how much it's going to cost, and you know, and how Blue Shield was was selected for for this. And does it allow the state to get more vaccine from the federal government? Yeah, so unfortunately, no. At the end of the day, you know, one of the big things is just that we are limited by the amount of supply that we can get, and nothing can change that except the federal government. But one of the big criticisms at the state level has been that we have this really complicated system of going through the state and the counties and local public health departments and sort of at each step of the way, somebody has to figure out how much of the vaccine should go to each different, you know, hospital or clinic or pharmacy. And they're trying to streamline that or make it more efficient through Blue Shield so that the vaccine that is coming in will get to people sooner and we can at least be using it and vaccinating people because California still has among the lowest rates in the, in the country of any state in terms of the percent of vaccine doses that we've actually put into people. All right, last question, Alexi. Obviously a big week for the governor. Uh, this past Monday lifted the stay-at-home orders. So there's already uh, restaurants that have been opening and things like uh, hair shops and salons. Um, the governor's obviously been under a lot of pressure. There's talk of an effort to to recall 
Gavin Newsom. Um, what's his week been like? What are the politics in Sacramento? And what are people saying about um, what he's responding to? And is he, is he acknowledging the pressure? He, yeah, he is definitely under an increasing amount of pressure over, you know, basically his response to everything. You know, he was early in the pandemic. He was this sort of heroic governor who responded early, shut things down and prevented the worst kind of crisis. And then, you know, we went through a summer surge and then we went through a holiday surge. And now California has, you know, some of the worst you know, numbers in the country in terms of coronavirus cases and deaths. So the public sentiment is turning on him. And you can see that in how much, you know, how many signatures this recall drive has been able to collect. I mean, they're well over, they've collected well over a million signatures now. They need to ultimately get about 1.5 million in order to qualify for the ballot. And not every signature is valid, so they'll probably need to collect somewhere closer to two million. But they've got about six or seven more weeks to do that. And, you know, it's I would put it at sort of maybe an even chance at this point that it that it makes it. It's really hard to know because, you know, they're they're on sort of a pace where they could make it and, and they could not. It's hard to tell at this point. But I, you can tell that the governor is is sensing more pressure and seeing them ticking closer and closer. And, you know, he's had allies that that came out and, um, you know, called this recall effort a coup, uh, which got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of negative uh, response. He has, you know, um, he's had allies who've come out and are already campaigning against the recall. I mean, there's definitely sort of this growing this growing noise in in political bubbles about about this and he was asked directly on monday you know are are you making this stay at home order decision to tamp down on some of the criticisms of your response to the pandemic and he said you know absolutely not he basically said that that was you know a ridiculous idea uh so you know he's aware of the criticisms <laughs> he's been asked about them and you know i i don't think his denial is going to um quell the fur of people who don't like him anyway but um but certainly this is something to keep an eye on it's it's um you know an increasingly serious threat to him all right alexi kosov thanks again thank you very much Let's take a quick break. We'll be back on Fifth and Mission with Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker talking about school reopening right after this. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined now by Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker. Jill, how are you? I am hanging in there. How are you? I'm I'm good. Jill, you've been very busy writing about school renaming in San Francisco, but you've turned your attention to the pandemic. A month ago, you wrote that Governor Newsom had announced this big plan to incentivize schools to reopen amid the pandemic. They're supposed to submit a health plan by this coming Monday. How's it going? Well, I think the short answer is it's not. 
Um, so the governor laid out this huge $2 billion plan offering up to $750 per student if schools were able to submit a health and safety plan for reopening by this coming Monday and then start reopening elementary schools by mid-February. But it had to go to the legislature for approval, and it is sitting there stuck. So there is no program to apply to. Uh, districts are kind of on a wait-and-see uh, pattern right now. And uh, we'll see. It's it's a lot of money. A lot of the school districts that have already opened would love to see that cash because they all already qualify, basically. Um, they would still have to submit plans and all of that. But um, but the other districts that could use some resources to reopen, um, you know, are, are also waiting. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's stuck. It was rolled out with a big announcement. And now it just. So did they come up with the health plan? So some districts have uh, they're they they're kind of processing and waiting, but the problem is that there isn't even a program to sort of give them instructions or a place to apply, right? So they're kind of guessing what they need to prepare. They have everything ready, like in Marin County, where a lot of school districts are already open. They're kind of you know getting ready so as soon as they can, they can apply for this money. Jill, I want to get kind of an overview from you about school reopening around the Bay Area. A lot of us are, are locked into our own communities. I, My family received a message this week that, that the school has a plan to move forward and try to go to hybrid learning as soon as possible. Um, where do we stand? Some schools are open, some are doing hybrid learning, um, some are, are pretty far away from that. Yeah, I think it's all the above. Um, so there are schools that have been open, public schools um, that have been open since September. Um, and have been operating since then. Um, of course, the recent surge uh, took us out of our tier system and put a lot of reopening plans on hold uh, because county health departments would not allow it. The state was, you know, sort of uh, putting the kibosh on all that. Um, so they are um, now that we are out of that, we're back in the tiered system, and that allows schools to start applying for waivers to reopen under purple, which is most of the state is under purple. Um, so we should s uh, start seeing some movement of schools reopening again. Uh, but the reality is a lot of these districts, especially the large urban districts like San Francisco and Oakland and L.A. and many, many others are are just still kind of far away from that. Um, there's no date uh, that we're seeing for them to reopen, even for the youngest students, the most vulnerable, even for a small population. Um, we're still waiting on details of when that might happen. Um, and so, uh, in, in fact, San Francisco actually sent out a letter to families on Wednesday night saying that um, they don't expect middle and high schools to open at all this school year. Um, I expect that's going to be the case for a lot of districts that haven't opened. Um, meanwhile, you have you have counties like Marin where they, they have uh, the majority of their public schools already open doing hybrid learning for the most part. And uh, I just talked to the county superintendent and she said she expects to have all the public schools in Marin County reopened, including middle and high schools, by the one year anniversary of the shutdown in March. So that's about mid-March. Um, so, you know, you can look in some places where they're full steam ahead and then other places where it's stuck uh, with union negotiations and, and other issues related to reopening. And what have we learned so far about transmission in schools? So, you know, there's a lot of questions about this, and and certainly this this virus hasn't been predictable. But the reality is, what we're hearing from um, national pediatrician 
publications from the CDC, from local data, is that transmission in schools is is really rare. Um, I talked to one school that has been opened since September. They have about 150 kids. It's kind of a small school, but they're full-time. All the kids are full-time in small cohorts. Um, They've had five cases of COVID among students and staff, but none transmitted at school. So you're, you know, they've been there for, you know, a hundred plus days um, and no transmission in schools. I think there's some concern about new variants of the virus and whether that will be an issue for children or or transmission. Um, but the reality is when you look at Marin County data, when you look at other data out there, that as long as the protocols are in place, um, that they don't, they just don't have a lot of transmission in schools. There's far less transmission in schools than in the community at large. And we haven't seen those kinds of cases that I think people feared where you'd have a mass outbreak where the kids are bringing it home to the families, uh, a big case like that. Yeah, no. I mean, we had one outbreak um, out in, um, uh, I think it was Dublin or San Ramon, in a in a uh, classroom of adult special needs people. And, and it turned out that given the circumstances in that environment, there were some issues of masking and, and protocols. So, um, you know, they, those are outliers in general, at least it seems right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it, but there's fear. There's a lot of fear surrounding this. So, um, you know, we're even hearing that even if, if teachers and staff are vaccinated, they still might not come back, that they would want more reassurance in other types of safety measures or case counts in the community. Um, you know, so in some cases, we're just, we're sort of mired in a lack of data, a lack of uh, knowing what's happening out there with the variants um, and fear. And, um, but where we are seeing it, it's, uh, you know, it, it seems to be safe. The the governor's office, as part of this program, um, this incentive money basically has guidelines. And they said, if these guidelines are uh, followed and case counts are below 25 out of 100,000 population daily, then schools can reopen safely, period, end of sentence. Um, that may not be enough to convince uh, school districts. I want to ask you about the cost of all this. Um, obviously, it's very hard on the kids, and, and you wonder about their academic improvement and, and how they're going to cope and, and move ahead, but but also just psychologically, right? It, it feels like a lot of families are struggling, and, and what are you hearing in that regard? Yeah, increasingly, um, you know, I've been hearing that families have been struggling since last March, right? I mean, all of this has been really hard on a lot of us, um, but I got to say recently, it, the, the volume's getting turned up on this. There, uh, increasingly, I am hearing not just, this is hard, this is frustrating, my kids are crying, um, I'm hearing now that th- these are serious mental health issues. I'm hearing suicidal ideation. I'm hearing, um, you know, serious issues of despondency and depression. And um, so we- we've sort of crossed into a new realm. It isn't just this is hard and no one likes it. Um, it is getting to a point of of really affecting the kids. I'm hearing kids who just refuse to so- sign on to school, refuse to log on, um, and they're just not learning anymore. Um, so, you know, and, and this is what I'm hearing from health professionals as well, and I'm hearing anecdotally as well as from, uh, you know, health officials that this isn't just they don't like it or it's not working very well. It's this is dangerous. Um, and, you know, this could have long term effects on on children and, and the communities. Um, and that's something to look at very seriously. 
So you said in some districts, given all of this, it, it is possible that that they won't get back into school even through the summer and, and we'll just start up again in the fall. Yeah, uh, I think that that's true. Um, you know, I think in San Francisco, we will see some kids go back and Oakland, I think it'll be the youngest and, and um, some of the most at risk kids. Um, I don't think it will be universal, um, even though the vast majority or the the majority of parents in a survey said that they would they want to send their kids back. Um, you know, uh, but I think there's also a question of what school will look like in the fall. I mean, if, if kids can't get vaccinated, if the vaccines aren't approved for them and they can't get vaccinated, you know, we're still looking at the possibility of transmission, you know, among kids, even if staff and adults are all vaccinated, um, you know, and and so folks are still talking about that. Like, what will school look like in the fall? We we probably will still have to have mitigation efforts. Will it be hybrid? Will they be able to go back full time because adults are uh, vaccinated? I think there are questions. I mean, if these variants turn out to be really bad, you know, who knows what's going to happen? And I don't mean to scare people because that sounds really awful. I think everybody's like the fall, just make it to the fall. Right. Um, but you know, I, I expect kids will still have to be masked in the fall. So, um, you know, I think people should be aware that this pandemic isn't going away and we still have a lot of ways to go in terms of approving vaccines and, and those types of things. That was depressing. Huh? That was, a. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a tough, tough issue, Jill, but but thanks for staying on top of it. And thanks for the update. Sure thing. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporters Jill Tucker and Alexi Kossoff, to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs>